till we couldn't shake no more. We got down on our knees when cancer knocked at our door. We got kicked in the ass. We gave lots of sass. Oh, when it rains, it falls into this half full glass. Oh, thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Victories in the dark. Hi, I'm Mimi Hall. And I'm Leanna House. And you're listening to Thanks Cancer. We are two cancer friends. And we're not doctors. We're not nurses. We're not shrinks. We're not psychics. We're not shamans. No, and cancer is pretty hard, too. I mean, cancer is a little hard. You might hear some swearing words in the episode. Ben, we hope you'll enjoy it. This is the podcast we wish that we had when we were going through our treatment. So, hey, Leanna, we have a guest star today. Oh, my God. I'm so excited about guests. Yes. Oh my God, sir. So who is she and how do you know her? This is a friend that I met through treatment at Dana-Farber. I met her during a group therapy session. Three trill for all your friends, dude. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) So we all get along. Well, it's it's friends that get it. And um, I met her at this group therapy session where I mentioned that I was going to go and try to be on stage with a moth story. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. came and she was the only person I knew that came because I didn't invite anyone. Those are long shows. Um, that means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was out in the seaport, which is like a super it's hard to get was to. It was at Laugh Boston, right? It, it was, was Laughed yeah, Boston. And I ended up winning, so I'm pretty sure that Betty, as I call her, is my lucky charm. Her name is actually Elizabeth Santiago, but I don't Welcome Elizabeth Santiago. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Refuse to call you by your name. I'm kind of weird like that. I kind of like how you gave me the name Betty, and nobody's ever given me that nickname before. <laughs> I so, did. Well, yeah. it's funny. I kind of wondered. It's a little old fashioned. It's yeah. like Betty. She sounds like Betty Crocker, a little 1950s. And nice. I, well, I think like <laughs> Betty Boop. A very Betty Boop. You have a Betty Boop vibe. Oh, thanks. Uh-huh. I'll take she it does, too. Right? Yeah, she does. I get it. And You're a good read. The, the also, though, I do have to say, you took me right back to Clueless because, as one of my favorite movies, yes, as, yes, um, good one. As you, you know, gave me the nickname right away. I said, nobody's ever called me that before. And you said, well, it is a just general term for a beautiful lady. Which, <laughs> that is what I you know, said. I think Alicia Silverstone does reference that yes, in Clueless. Yes, she does. Yeah, I, she does. I think it's her, like, hot friend. What's his name? Christian? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Total mm-hmm. Betty. Mm-hmm. So we had the same... We both had breast cancer, so we bonded over that. And mm-hmm. um, Elizabeth had was just, like, six months behind me in that treatment. That sounds about right. I think so. So I feel like we went through a lot of this together Mm -hmm. um and you know i had lost my hair and she was losing her hair did i give you a pillowcase you did it was the coolest hand-me-down ever The satin pillowcase. Well, because you need it so I know. I wish I had one. I Mm -hmm. didn't have one, but they're good. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, that was nice. And um, she's just stuck around. We've been friends ever since. Yeah. Right? You're not, yeah, you're not getting rid of me. So you know. (laughs) (laughs) I have I have no desire to get rid of you. My my favorite story about Betty is that she found cancer during the holidays. Yes. Tell me a little bit about like finding your cancer. Yeah. So I was home in Chicago for the holidays and at my sister's place and crashing on her comfy couch. And she came walking in the door after walking her dog. And I thought that her dog might jump on me. And just as a sort of preemptive cover up, I just put my hands over my chest and felt something that had never been noticed before. So it I made sure to not show that on my face because I did not 
not, even though immediately I knew exactly what it was, um, didn't want anybody else to be scared or, you know, um, as we know, the patient often becomes the caregiver. <laughs> so uh, this was early stages of that. But uh, so I just, I found it, kept my cool. And then, you know, when I was getting ready later that day in the shower, I revisited that spot. And um, and then after the holidays, when I returned back to Boston, I gave Dana-Farber a call and I was in there two days later. <laughs> so. Can I just say, like, this sounds like a really dark John Hughes film. <laughs> well, given like, that what? I'm back in Chicago, that was also very exactly, different. Exactly, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. It's like, what happens when Molly Ringwald well, grows up? Right, exactly. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she, she turns into a baby. Like, I see, like, the golden retriever, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sister's getting all the attention and she's like, wait, guys, I have cancer. I have a huge love in my breast, but I don't want to ruin New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> so you say that you knew exactly what it was. How did you know? Well, family history and previous genetic testing. So mm-hmm. I had been going through preventative screenings, and I'm, I do have um, I tested positive for the BRCA one uh, mutation. And did you test mm-hmm. positive for the BRCA one before you found the lump? Yes, that was actually probably a good two years or so before, maybe even more than that. And I had gone every six months for it alternated between an MRI and a mammogram. Oh, interesting. mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of weird that with um, some of these genetic testings, the diagnosis process starts way before diagnosis because you kind of have like this protracted cancer experience, right? A little bit in a way, you know, they're almost preparing you for either we're going to keep screening for this or the other option is surgery. Just preemptive, Mm -hmm. preemptive surgery. Mm -hmm. The other thing that strikes me as really scary and weird too is that, you know, when I got diagnosed, I didn't have any warning. I'd never had a mammogram before, but you were getting them, I mean, right. pretty frequently and regularly. So that's kind of, did it surprise mm-hmm. you that it could go so fast? It did. And yeah. um, you know, I feel like everybody has their own guilt to deal with or that why or yeah. whatever question it is that they're asking themselves. So I definitely, I felt, I felt all sorts of things, but you know, I remember getting frustrated with the screenings, largely getting frustrated with the billing, being told that, wait, why isn't your insurance covering this? It's preventative. It should be free, all of this. I was terrified with insurance and that language and just didn't know how to navigate that system. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was very, I actually, and you know, I'm happy to share this with anybody who's listening because it now that I'm comfortable with it, but it was such a huge source of of shame at first. I felt like I wanted to catch up on bills. And so I skipped on my own, just took it upon myself to to skip a screening, Um, felt like I was healthy, taking care of myself. I was young, really, you know, I'll get back on track later. Like what's, what's really going to happen? So, (laughs) so I, you know, found out what happened and, you know, that just was, my doctor was amazing with letting me know that there was nothing I did. We could have still gone through every single screening and it we could still end up in the same spot. So she did a wonderful job of, of calming that side. Well, and how do you feel about the preventative process in retrospect? Like yeah. you, you didn't decide because some people discover they have BRCA and immediately get double mastectomies. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes a hysterectomy. And sometimes a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. chose not to do that. Can you tell me a little bit about that decision, what that was like for mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, the surgery felt drastic. I think uh, it felt a little too drastic for the time. I guess I just, I think we all go through a little bit of probably not going to happen to me or it's, you know, like what's the likeliness that it's going to happen right now? I just, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't ready to make that choice. How old were you? I'm sorry mm-hmm. to interject. Oh, I sure. if we covered mm-hmm. that. How old were you? I was 35 at the time of diagnosis. Okay. Got it. So, mm-hmm. so you get diagnosed with cancer pretty quickly after you went to Dana-Farber. 
Mm-hmm. You you got in in two days. It looks like you were diagnosed within a week or two. Yeah, it was roughly two weeks is a safe. Yeah, definitely right. within that. Um, yeah. But but you like went into it thinking that you had cancer. I was pretty sure, and she and so I went in right away for an ultrasound, and then I remember during the ultrasound, the only thing that was uttered in the room was, "Well, it's not a cyst." Oh God, <laughs> that's all she said. <laughs> And I'm laying there and just hearing this. So, um, yeah. So I was in my head going, well, I'm pretty sure my deductive reasoning tells me there's only one other option. But, you know. Is it is it cyst and cancer? <laughs> in my, I think so. But okay. I don't know. There could be some other medical option that I'm unaware of. All right. But, well, I know yeah. that there's calcifications. I don't mm, know if that's mm-hmm. the same thing. I'm not sure. Um, my so. family gets calcified breasts. And then in terms of treatment, you had chemotherapy yes and a double mastectomy yes and reconstruction mm-hmm. okay correct so tell me a little bit about your treatment process how you made those decisions and what was going on with like life and mm-hmm. work at the time like yeah. where where were you and um how did cancer impact that yeah so i i uh, was working from home because i was working regionally from a university in the midwest and uh, working in undergrad admissions so the home office proved to be a really That's great it was a blessing at that time Despite not liking it leading up to this, um, mm. I found a lot of benefit in it all of a sudden, or new benefit. And so it it really the as far as the decisions that I made and you know, with treatment, I was given um, options of going the standard chemo route, which was the the AC and the the T, and I can't even remember what the T stands for right Taxol. now. Ta- Taxol. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then there was this other clinical trial route, and and that was just purely a choice. And my oncologist was really great about letting that be my choice despite me really wanting to say make this decision for me mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone's saying the standard route's a great option this trial's a great option great that's not helping me right now <laughs> so <laughs> what was the difference between the trial medication and mm. the... so the trial medication was cisplatin and that has oh, been yeah. used in in other treatments but it has it's new to breast cancer so mm. hence the trial process but it is the scary part with that was was kidney damage mm-hmm. that was a huge risk with I remember the percentage size of the risk, but mm-hmm. it was something that they were warning me of. And right. so, you know, hydration could definitely help. So it was right. something that I had a little bit of control over how much my mm-hmm. kidneys were affected, but still this trial, which I didn't understand clinical trials at that time. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing trial and treatment in the same sentence, and that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. And then also this potential extra kidney damage. So I did a ton of research, really, and, and just mm-hmm. was on Google probably more than any doctor would advise, but mm-hmm. I was sorting through a bunch and I felt very lucky I actually came across phase one of my clinical trial in the Journal of Clinical Mm -hmm. Oncology and was Mm -hmm. able to actually see the summary and I saw that the two women Mm -hmm. in this phase one had who had both had triple negative and the genetic mutation Mm -hmm. actually came out from the cisplatin treatment with a complete response. Wow. That's great. That's the wind in my sails. Yeah. Which was also just I mean that was it was a very long Saturday I think I spent on my couch doing a lot of reading before I actually found that and a lot of reading leading up to that but well spent yeah it was yeah, worth yeah, it it's your life um, yeah and so that's what helped you make your decision was like reading right. 
the, the research. Was, was the research. The other thing was is going into this with the clinical trial. If I committed to the clinical clinical trial, they said you know there's a 50-50 chance you'll you'll get the cisplatin arm, or you might end up getting the control group the and, and going the well, still going oh, through no, the standard taxol, right. standard procedure. And I really wanted to be a part of the clinical trial and still go through the standard route that I felt more comfortable with. And I knew that if I you know went into this just hoping that that's not going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> right. I did end up getting the cisplatin arm. Good. So that meant that I had cisplatin for four treatments. And then I actually had the surgery because they needed to measure the effect of the cisplatin. Yeah. And then I picked up with the AC of the standard treatment. And um, depending on the results of the surgery, that was going to determine how much um, treatment I would go through afterwards if I'd mm-hmm. go through anything beyond the AC. And did you end up going through anything beyond the AC? No, it was just the AC. Good. So okay. at the time of surgery, I was incredibly fortunate that they were able to declare a complete response at that time. But, you know, you know how the doctor says, even if you still have pills in the prescription bottle, you know, the symptoms are gone, you still take it, still Mm -hmm. had to finish out the AC. I had to do the same thing. (laughs) I had to do all of my traditional therapy after my surgery, too. Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit of a mind messer. People are saying, you're you're done with this, right? No, you're not done. You're just (laughs) making sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and that line between, I thought it was weird with surgeries and with chemo and with radiation, like, where is that line Mm -hmm. where I don't have cancer anymore? Because I still, like, I still kind of struggle with that. Because, mm-hmm. like, a lot of times you don't know and you just have faith mm-hmm. and you just go through the process and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like complete response is the most definite thing they were able to say. There's right. no evidence of disease, but, you know, really saying that you're you're done with it is nothing that really enters the, the conversation. You know, it's just like, yeah, you just yeah. you go on with that trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and did you take time off of work or like, did you have to arrange your work differently while you were going through treatment? I, I did take some time off work. I would advise every single person to take off much more time than I did. But I think for me, my job turned into my my personal little form of control mm. and saying, I'm going to put you in your place, cancer, and I'm still going to move through my day and still be there for my job and still, you know, just go about as much of my regular life as I can. Mm-hmm. So I still, I still traveled. I went to college fairs. I, um, you know, I still was able to do for most of it. I mean, there would be occasional times where I would be on the couch, but I I powered through probably more than I should have and more than I would advise anybody else to. Mm. (laughs) But that said, too, I was also able to do this with a have to recognize that my employer was very supportive. So Mm -hmm. I was not forced into this, which was really, really, really lucky. And I know that I've heard stories where people don't have that same support and it makes everything much more difficult. We have to. And Mm -hmm. the same stories. Yeah. For me, it was really nice to like deal with other people's problems because like I can't do anything about these problems that I have in my body, but I can do something about like, you know, the spreadsheets that I have to email to this person. (laughs) It's definitely that sense of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. So since treatment, uh, you have changed careers. Mm -hmm. Tell me about what led to that decision. Like, why did you decide to change careers and um, how hard is that? Gosh, the decision to change careers was something kind of brewing in my mind for a long time um, leading up to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a way, this, ex- this this journey, the experience, what it, it changed, it 
gave me some new direction. So I discovered Family Reach, the organization I now work for. Uh, uh-huh. During my during my cancer treatment, it was actually just weeks after my diagnosis. Uh, when I was an article came across my Facebook newsfeed from WBUR about the financial toll that cancer takes on patients and how uh, you know not being able to afford treatment and, and how finances affect someone's ability to access treatment. So reading this article, you know that headline just got my attention right away. But uh, in the article, Family Reach was mentioned as an organization that was helping a family with utilities and with their home expenses and just all these essential expenses mm-hmm. that you know that you don't really think of until you're going through something like the cancer. Bills show up, right? Exactly, and you're you're going well. I, I I can't go to work because you know not everybody works from home, so a lot of patients are, are not able to go to work, and you know you're losing out on costs, and uh, at the same time you're getting these new bills coming in. So just seeing Family Reach in this article was so eye-opening, and so I was so thrilled to see that there is an organization addressing something that isn't talked about enough. So you you found them right after you were diagnosed. I imagine because I remember when I got diagnosed, like trying to figure out insurance because I had never done anything with insurance before. I'd never yeah. maxed out my mm-hmm. deductible. I had never like made a claim, and um, and it is scary. And it was always mm-hmm. creepy. Like it always felt super stressful dealing with any insurance mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, even basic like just your lady checkups. You right. know what I mean? Like Absolutely. it was always like, what? Why is it twelve hundred dollars? And I'm paying a hundred. I don't know. And like and like when you pay and why you pay right. and like what? all all of it. Um, did you find insurance easy to deal with? Was did you? I mean, your insurance was out of state. Did that make it more complex? It actually. So I think I was able to maneuver things to work them towards my advantage, but it was definitely confusing. And I don't know if it was because my insurance was out of state that it took them longer to process my bills. So once I realized I actually had a few extra months uh. for my bills would appear for me. And once I figured that out, I did start doing a little bit of savings. So that actually helped. But I was terrified with navigating just those phone calls of you know, asking those initial questions and making sure I was getting to the right person and mm-hmm. balancing, you know, talk, when do I talk to insurance and when do I talk to the billing department at Dana-Farber or, oh my God, you know. Right. Yeah, so. And, and what questions do I ask? Mm-hmm. Because so much of it, like, you don't even know the language. Right. That's so much of it. We were talking earlier about how you don't, like, I had never heard of financial toxicity before I got cancer. Mm-hmm. And you should define financial toxicity, not me, because you're better at that. <laughs> But sure. just having the language to describe what's happening to you. So tell tell me about like what financial toxicity means and how like family reach addresses that, like what you found out in your research. Sure, sure. So financial toxicity of cancer, it's really this uh, this uh, it's a side effect of treatment, really, where you are you if you're the patient who you know is managing your own expenses, or you know if the child is a patient and a parent is missing work in order to mm-hmm. uh, be at their child's side and take them to treatment. Either way, household income is lost um, because of treatment-related ex- you know, interruptions. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the same time, you have all of these new medical expenses, out-of-pocket expenses to cover, and that math just simply doesn't add up. So there's this term, cancer-related financial toxicity is what mm-hmm. Family Reach is really addressing. And we're really trying to alleviate that financial burden that happens when household income is lost and suddenly uh, a patient or a caregiver is mm-hmm facing this very, this unimaginable choice of, you know, do I go to treatment? Do I go to this chemotherapy appointment? Mm -hmm. Or do I go to work so that way I can keep the roof over my head or put gas in the car or keep the heat on at home when, you know, somebody is immunocompromised?
compromised. Mm -hmm. So, um, so Family Reach's solution for that is what we call our financial treatment program. And it really started with um, direct financial assistance, but we've done so much more than that. Direct financial assistance is how Family Reach has previously helped patients for about over 20 years now. And we started realizing we want to get ahead of this problem and help uh, help patients and families sooner. So the financial treatment program has an education component where we have a financial guidebook to mm-hmm. help provide resources and information about the costs that patients are going to uh, accrue along the way out-of-pocket expenses like travel and things that are going to sneak up that you're just not thinking about Mm -hmm. at the time of the diagnosis. And then there's also, uh, we provide resource navigation to help families and and patients with in-kind services and other resources that can minimize some of those out-of-pocket costs. So we have a partnership with Hilton. So when somebody is traveling for treatment, we can provide overnight accommodations near a hospital, partnership with Zipcar, with Lyft. So we're really trying to help with those, um, with some wraparound services to help minimize out-of-pocket costs. And then also our financial planning for cancer program uh, pairs uh, families with pro bono uh, financial advisors who have gone through certified training to understand the needs of cancer patients. And so that way they can help them manage expenses, prioritize expenses, be prepared, be more prepared for forthcoming debt, and just really build a financial plan that can you know, empower that patient or family to move forward in their treatment. And then, so, mm-hmm. so what I thought was really amazing about you is mm-hmm. that when I met you, I remember right after we met, you were planning a fundraiser and like Mm -hmm. we were we were about the same time during treatment and I was like focused on me and focused on my problems and you're out there planning a fundraiser Mm. for an organization Mm. that you hadn't that hadn't even like given you incredible anything which I I mean not that they hadn't given you anything but like (laughs) I thought that was amazing that you your first impulse was oh well how can I help other people Mm. who have it worse than I do oh thank you (laughs) that's that's like a huge um that was a huge reason that we became friends because I'm like she sounds pretty amazing I just want to say something about family reach if I can just jump in here too Mm -hmm. um we were just talking about when I first discovered them at that event at the seaport and one of the things that really struck me about it too was that there's no real barrier to entry here, that this is available for all families because all families are affected by financial toxicity no matter how much wealth you have. We all plan out our lives as upper class, Mm -hmm. middle class, whatever class people, according to what we think we're gonna be bringing in. And Mm -hmm. when you lose one of those breadwinners, I don't care, you know, both family members are making $150,000 a year. You plan on that $300,000 a year, especially in a place like Massachusetts, oh my God, you Mm -hmm. know, and then you've also got other children, presumably that may need to have other needs. And so I was really impressed with Family Reach's just all encompassing look at the Mm -hmm. whole situation, because Mm -hmm. that was one thing I found as a middle class person, you know, who did have a savings to be really daunting was like, wait a minute, I don't really qualify this degree Mm -hmm. of need, but like what's there for me. And I wasn't aware of Family Reach. I wish I had been at that time. (laughs) I I was really excited to learn about them. And I Mm -hmm. love I love learning more about them right now too. Well, awesome. the, the thing that I do really like about Family Reach that I just barely discovered is this like financial planning, education, right. dealing with insurance kind of information because that yeah. is such like just navigating that process is so mm-hmm. like you don't even know who to talk to or where to go in. Mm-hmm. Right. And on top of not knowing, you're probably dealing with a little bit of what did I do wrong? Yeah. 
guilt, shame, <laughs> angst. Why? Yeah, and, <laughs> and that's just that's one of the things we really want people to know is that they haven't done anything wrong. You know yeah. that nobody nobody plans for this. And, well, mm-hmm. it's hard enough to afford life in general, much less unexpected cancer costs. Yeah, like I tried to plan for a rainy day and I did, and now I'm past the rainy day and the well is dry. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and but it, what is weird is that um, in some ways I do find it a little liberating. Like I think mm-hmm. these are actually things that I struggled with like before I got sick, and there is a little li- bit of liberation of saying, "Hey, you know what mm-hmm. I mean." And, and I feel that it's sort of a re- we were talking about that a little bit when we were having brunch before this. But like about how you lose a little bit of that, you do lose a little bit of shame. You gain a little bit of shame, but you also lose a little bit of shame too. I think it moves, it shifts, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you can let some of that go, right? I mean, I, let it go. It's, you're like, wait, life does sometimes bite you in the butt and yeah. and mm-hmm. after you move through it you savings. can be done with it right <laughs> like, with, a, with a little bruise perhaps like <laughs> i i felt that guilt i felt that shame and you know what i'm over it yeah <laughs> Well, it also helps to have people like you, to have friends like you, to have that support network, to find out that, you know, other people are going through it, too. I think that's one of the the And to have family reach, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. to have the organization that's out there networking. I mean, you Mm -hmm. guys are pretty strong now, too. Yeah, so we're nationwide. We have, we partner with hospitals all across the country. So we've got, you know, we work with over 350 hospitals across the country. Amazing. And have relationships with the uh, social workers and, you know, the oncology-based social workers, so that way they can identify families who and patients who are really in need of our of our services it's great how have you found it being a survivor working in the cancer community working in the cancer uh, industry Mm -hmm. like how how have you found that transition yeah so I mean it's I think my past experiences have definitely you know only helped me be more empathetic it's interesting to be a part of an industry that I just never really thought I could be I've also always wanted to move in more of a health direction it was a language that uh, I didn't really think I could speak. And I think through the way that Family Reach helps people, I think that it's really, it's been a, a very new way to help people and to give voice to an issue that that is so important that needs more attention. For me, part of it, because I work in a different part of the cancer industry, but for me, it's like, I can't help myself from 2016, because like, she had some problems, but I can help myself from 2016 by doing something for the next generation Mm -hmm. of people who are coming Mm -hmm. through this process and I can be a resource to help direct people Mm -hmm. and that has been an empowering way to be involved in the cancer community because I can I feel like I can direct people like I'm always Mm -hmm. directing people to family reach I don't really know anything about like your qualification process or your like (laughs) applications but I'm like talk to family reach I do the same thing we talk about you on the podcast all the time so we're so excited to have a rep here <laughs> we do. We've gone to a couple of events um, yeah. for the yeah. last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I really like them. It's been That's on our radar. Generation. I know. I think they're really cool. So let's ask you, like, we usually like to close up with mm-hmm. protocols. So do you have any protocols for our listeners? Well, first and foremost, uh, you know, since we were talking about the financial burdens of cancer, I think just want people to know that you you haven't done anything wrong. So 
uh, ask questions. I would say so. Protocol one: It's not your fault. You've done nothing wrong. Yes. To be, be kind shame. to your yeah. Be kind to yourself to realize you've done nothing wrong, and there are resources out there to help you. So you know to to look for those to to build that support network. I'm hearing like don't be shameful that asking yeah. for help. Right. Too. Like recognize this is a time when everyone needs some guidance because God knows, hopefully you have not been through this before. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> really, like you don't want to be an expert at this. Unless you work at family. <laughs> I've heard the second time around, there's a less steep learning curve. Oh, that's awful, though. That's just, I know it's I awful. Know, one and done. The Thank whole thing you. is awful. The whole thing is awful. Okay, so number two for dealing with the whole awful. Yes. <laughs> What's another protocol that you've got for us? Um, well, I would say uh, take more sick days than I did. Oh, I, I love, love that. that. Jinx. I love that. <laughs> yeah. We, we should all take advantage because, as we said in our uh, work episode like your job doesn't give a shit about you and even uh, those of us who had like a very nice experience with our job they can survive without you they you, will survive without you you yes. are not that important you need to take care of yourself first mm-hmm. good advice and anything else if you have questions about family reach check us out online yeah. so what's um, the information give us the information yeah, yeah. Where, so uh, familyreach.org is our home page mm-hmm. if you are in the Boston area there's a lot of different ways to connect with us through different events, uh, different, uh, our young professionals or our reach athlete community, you know, anybody who's hearing for this, we would want to help. So we see you, even though we can't physically see you, mm. uh, we know what you're going through and we've got information that we want to share. I just want to give a shout out for those events too. You don't have to have had cancer or to be someone who even knows someone who's had cancer to have fun at those family reach events. Everyone mm-hmm. that I've been to is just full of wonderful people, just like really cool, <laughs> bright young things. So definitely check out the events, you guys. It's better than Bumble, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing food, raffles. And you know that the people are basically compassionate. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's true. It's we true. Have had a lot We've had a good time at the family reach <laughs> events. So so anyway, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks to you, Elizabeth. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for, for holding that torch. Yeah, and, and thanks, thanks, family reach. Thank you, family reach. Yeah, thanks, thanks for that. All right, and, and thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. That was our episode. Thanks for listening to Thanks Cancer. If you guys enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would give us a review on iTunes or Google Play. And you can find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at Thanks Cancer. And please, we'd love to hear from you your stories. Your protocols. Exactly. Advice that you have to share with the community. So send us your audio files at info at thankscancer.com. Traffic stopped, you lay on the horn and you ask yourself, Where is my cancer unicorn? But we're at the gate with your cancer card, we're your passport date, cause cancer's damn hard. Oh, thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Victories in the dark. <laughs>